What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Will Clemente is a finance major at East Carolina University. He's quickly become one of my favorite writers on all things Bitcoin, including deep dives on various on-chain analytics. You can subscribe to Will's new email by clicking on the link in the description that I've provided. In this conversation, we discuss the supply squeeze, strong hands buying, dormancy looking better, and what happens when Bitcoin broke $42,000. I really enjoyed this conversation with Will, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Gemini. They're a leading regulated cryptocurrency exchange, wallet, and custodian that makes it simple and secure to buy, sell, store, and earn Bitcoin, Ether, and over 40 other cryptocurrencies. They offer industry-leading security, insurance, and uptime. Gemini is the go-to trusted platform for beginner and sophisticated investors alike. You can open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. Again, you can open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com POMP and you'll get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. Go check it out. Next up is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions all on the blockchain. You can choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. have more than 100,000 COVID cases before 2022? Will Trump run for president? With over $100 million traded in the first year, Polymarket is the go-to platform to settle the biggest debates of the day. Think you know more than the market? Trade on your beliefs and earn a return if you're right. Want tomorrow's news today? Use Polymarket to see real-time data on what the market thinks will happen. No fake news, no pundits without skin in the game. So head over to polymarket.com and make an account today. For a limited time, if you sign up with the referral code POMP to get your first trade reimbursed up to 100 bucks. Again, go click on polymarket.co slash pompod or use the referral code POMP when you sign up for an account and you'll get your very first trade up to $100 reimbursed by the platform. Go check it out at polymarket.co. Last but not least is Bubble. Do you have a business idea you've been dreaming about but don't know how to actually start building it? Use Bubble's drag and drop tool to develop custom, interactive, multi-user web apps in hours. Go to bubble.io to build, launch, and scale real ideas and products without engineers or code. Bubble is the go-to no-code platform for over 1 million builders and has recently closed a $100 million funding round to continue supporting startups like yours from MVP to IPO. Go to bubble.io slash pomp and the first 500 listeners will get their first month free on any of Bubble's paid plans. Again, bubble.io slash pomp and the first 500 listeners get their first month free on any of the paid plans. Bubble's awesome. I think you'll really enjoy it. So make sure you go check it out. All right, let's get in this episode with Will. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Will is here. Will, what's up, man? Hey, brother. What's going on? Getting Not ready much. to head back to school this afternoon, so I'm stoked. <laughs> Let's go. Good weekend. 
Now, Will is going back to school. I feel like everyone forgets all the time that uh, you still have like another life outside of Bitcoin. But what no one is going to forget is you got that sweatshirt on the day one best business show hoodie. Absolutely love to see it. All right. Let's jump into uh, on chain metrics. And I think kind of the first takeaway really is just accumulation still is showing to be really, really strong uh, across all these different metrics. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, obviously, this is something that we've been looking at for a while. Uh, but, you know, there's a couple different ways we can break this down. Um, for a while, we had just been looking at the liquid supply shock ratio. Um, and what that is, it's essentially a ratio of um, the amount of Bitcoin held by strong hands compared to weak hands, or as Glassnode puts it, um, a liquid and liquid and highly liquid entities. But, you know, just for layman's terms, just saying strong and weak hands, I think is, is pretty sufficient. Um, so that's one way to look at it, more of like a, um, a, a qualitative way to look at like where the coins are moving, right? And, and so when you look at this ratio, I mean, it's been moving up pretty strong over the last, um, you know, two, three weeks as we've been covering, but um, it's now at what, what previously marked Bitcoin at, at price levels of 55 to 57K. So I still think like this still hasn't fully been priced in yet, although we have been starting to see it, you know, get priced in over the last two weeks. Um, next, we have the uh, the exchange supply shock ratio. So, um, while the previous was was more of like a qualitative way to look at the supply shortage, this is more of a uh, you know quantitative way, just literally looking at the amount of coins that are available to be bought versus the amount that aren't. So, the amount of coins that are on exchanges versus um, you know measured against the the overall circulating supply. Um, and so, you know, you're seeing an uptick in this um, as well. And then third, we have the uh, long-term holder supply shock ratio. This is uh, very similar to the illiquid supply, but this is looking at um, the ratio of coins held by long-term holders versus short-term. Um, and so th the ratio that Glassnode uses to cut this off is 155 days because they've like done some statistic research on uh, just the fact that like once you get right around that mark, the, the likelihood of, of um, market participants moving those coins out of their wallet kind of drops off. Um, and so like for anybody who wants to like look into the nuance of it, they have a, a research article published on their website. Um, so, you, you know, you have three different measures of this accumulation that, that you can look at and they're all pointing the same thing, which is, you know, really aggressive buying. And so as we continue to see more and more buying happening, I think that most people say, OK, this market structure is setting up. And so the bulls are uh, looking to higher prices and saying, you know, kind of the supply squeeze uh, thesis is going to play out. There is uh, critics or uh, those that are still bearish uh, and they're really looking at this as kind of a dead cat bounce. I know that you've done a bunch of work to try to see, you know, what are some of the data points that either uh, support the dead cat bounce theory or actually end up being um, kind of critical of it. So where are you coming out in terms of could this just be a dead cat bounce yeah for sure you know i think it's um i think it's like a, a logical thought process and it's something like everybody has to you know keep in mind until it's disproven because you can never you know speak in absolutes and rule out everything um but you know looking at i guess the, the evidence and trying to build a case i think um there's a pretty strong case against this being a dead cat bounce and the reason i say that is because um you know, one of the things that we said we were looking for like two weeks ago is, okay, if we start moving back up, are these long-term holders that have been buying, are they just going to dump on like the first opportunity that they get? Um, and, and so like the way to look at this is, you know, we can look at it a few ways, but the one I, I threw in the newsletter this week um, was the spent output age bands. So this is literally looking at 
um, the, you know, the, the, the UTXO is being spent, you know, in certain age bands. And so looking at, um, the age bands of six old, older than six months, which is the closest I could get to that long-term holder 155 day cutoff. Um, what you see is that, you know, at the end of the bull market, um, when you have a dead cat, all of a sudden, you know, all those long-term holders pile in and take the exit liquidity because they say, okay, I want to, you know, I'm going to GTFO, you know, because prices have bounced up a little bit. I still think we're going much further down. I'm going to take this opportunity to just get out of the market. Um, and so that's been one thing that I've been really looking for and, and haven't seen. So that, that's a really positive sign that, you know, these, these um, long-term holders that have, um, A, you know, been in the market for a while or be just starting to mature into that, you know, 155 day threshold, they aren't um, selling on this exit liquidity. So, you know, that, that in my opinion is, is a pretty strong case against it being a dead cap. Got it. And then when we start to look at our favorite metric, which is uh, Sopra, uh, remind everyone what Sopra is and then kind of what you're seeing there. Yeah, I feel like uh, you and I have been talking about Sopra here for like two months straight. Uh, Sopra is basically just a, a ratio of um, the profit and loss that the coins hold. So what you're basically looking at is, you know, are the coins that are being traded on the day, when, are, are they being um, traded in, in profit or loss in aggregate? Um, and so, you know, in, in a bull market, what you see is that like every time that Sopra dips below one, it's a really good buy opportunity. Um, because people in a raging bull market, there's really low tendency that they're going to want to sell at a loss, right? And then um, conversely, in a bear market, whenever Soper goes above one, you know, it's a good time to trim some because, you know, you're in a downtrend. People are just going to sell on any up move that they get. Um, and so we had been kind of hovering below one, you know, since uh, the May 19th capitulation. But what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is this move back up over the one threshold. And then um, we've been looking for twofold after that. So A, we're looking for um, a retest of one. So, um, you know, price drops and then we bounce off and, and hold that one threshold as support. Um, and then two, we are looking for, um, you know, seeing if we could stabilize above one, which would be a really good time. Um, so far, we have gotten that bounce off of one, like a textbook to bounce off of it. Um, and then right now it looks like we're starting to stabilize. I think maybe need, you know, a couple more days a week to really like get full confirmation, but it, it looks really good so far. Got it. And then funding rates, I know is something else that you've been spending a lot of time looking at. Yeah. So um, funding rates is like in layman's terms, it's, it's basically like the mechanism that pegs the perpetual swap, which is the, you know, it's, it's a futures contract pretty unique to Bitcoin in the sense that like, it never expires, you, you know, the reason it exists is, well, several fold part of it, like, because it clears so fast, you know, it, it makes um, getting leverage easier. Um, but the funding rate basically pegs the perpetual to the Bitcoin index price, which is like a weighted average of all the major exchanges. Um, and so when funding is below, um, when funding is negative, I should say, um, what, what's that, what, what that is showing is that, um, spot is being more, is being bid up more aggressively than the futures. And then conversely, when the, the, when funding rate, um, is above the spot price, you know, you have positive funding rates. So that's showing that, you know, um, it's, it's, um, taking a long position is, is, is more aggressive in the market, I guess. I, I will probably worded that terribly, but what, what you're looking for is like, Prolonged positive funding or prolonged negative funding um, are, are both signals of, you know, perhaps a, a reversal. And so 
throughout like the main phase of the bull market, um, we had positive funding rates, like really high positive funding rates. Um, but then after May, uh, May 19th, we had pretty um, negative funding rates all across the board throughout that whole kind of consolidation. Um, we have started to see uh, funding rates move like slightly positive again, but when you compare where we are now, um, you know, at, at 46K compared to where we were in terms of um, funding back in, in February at the same price levels, it's, it's just not even comparable. Um, open interest is still not at those levels. It, it's it's coming back up, but both of those things, especially funding, is, is really far from where it was um, in February. And so, like, the key takeaway here is that this rally is really being spot-driven. Um, that's also reflected in, like, when you look at uh, bids, right? You're, you're seeing bids being moved up. And so people are, in other words, like, respecting the pump, right? People are getting kind of impatient. You know, people had bids set down at, like, 35K, we broke out of the range. People said, okay, yeah, maybe I won't get 35 Ks. Maybe I'll get a good entry if we retest, you know, the top of the range. We never retest the top of the range. So now people are moving uh, their bids up higher. So yeah, that's it. like all in all, like also seeing like the accumulation trends, um, I, you know, I believe that th this rally is really spot driven. Yeah. And then I, I know that we've also talked a bunch of, in the last couple of weeks about miners and it feels like uh, we can tell a lot from what they're doing. Uh, you recently wrote uh, one of the best historical buy signals in the Bitcoin space. Uh, and so when people hear you say that, I think their ears kind of perk up. Explain what this uh, kind of hash ribbon buy signal is and then uh, kind of what you're seeing the miners do from an accumulation standpoint and the hash uh, ribbon stuff. Yeah, sure. So like, first of all, um, hash has started to slightly recover. You know, we're still obviously very far from where we were, um, you know, at peak in, in April, early May. Um, but you know, we, we are starting to see a slight recovery. And so the hash ribbons are basically two moving averages of, of hash. And so what it's trying to capture is like when miners capitulate, um, and, and then start coming back on the network, then you have the um, cell pressure subsiding, right? Because they're, you know, they're capitulating, you know, they're moving off the network and then that hash, is, that hash rate is starting to come back on. Um, and, and so like in, in theory, then the, the cell pressure, the forced cell pressure comes off, right? Um, and so that's what the hash rooms are looking at. It's looking at the 30 and 60 day moving average of hash. And so whenever um, the 30 day crosses above the 60 day, that's, that's the buy signal. Um, and so like when you go back historically, the hash ribbons have been like one of the most accurate um, kind of macro, like multi-month, um, you know, uh, timeframe buy signals in, in Bitcoin. So yeah, we just did get that buy signal a couple of days ago. Got it. And then last, uh, well, I guess I got two more questions. One is around the uh, minor net position change. Uh, that seems to be just a continuation of the trend. Uh, kind of miners have flipped and just are continuing to accumulate as much as they can. Yeah, exactly. Just seeing, you know, continued accumulation for them, partially because, you know, we, we had this record difficulty adjustment and then the, the uh, miners that were still left on the network were extremely profitable. Uh, and so they really have an incentive to, you know, hold the coins that they, they're getting right now for pretty much uh, dirt cheap in comparison to like the energy output that it took to mine them previously. Got it. And then what about uh, transactions? I know that previously you said uh, the number of transactions on the network would be uh, kind of the best supporting evidence for a bearish outlook. Uh, I don't think you, me, my brothers, anyone is uh, is bearish that's on this call. But uh, what, what are you seeing there with uh, with the transactions? Yeah, for sure. Um, we're starting to see that trend back up, like not in a big way, um, not where I would like to see it yet. Um, but, you know, it is, it is starting to like slowly grind up. Um, one interesting thing, though, is like, Although we've had fewer, like the number of transactions, 
um, we've, we've seen larger transactions. So seeing like really big spikes in, in transactions above, um, $10 million in value. So obviously, you know, those are, those are big buyers in the market moving coins around. Um, and also like the, the fact that we have lower transactions also shows to me that like, we're not in this speculative mania phase and we are talking about how, you know, funding is low and, and this is pretty spot driven. Um, I, I think this rally is healthy in that sense. Um, all, like just the fact that we aren't in any type, type of euphoria at all. Um, it's mostly just, you know, like big buyers slowly picking up coins here. Um, yeah. So yeah, like that's reflected in, in the size of, of the transactions. So like transaction volume. Um, and then also when you just look at, um, whale holdings. So like over the last two weeks, whales have like added, all, you know, I don't know the number off the top of my head. Um, let me see here. I put down, uh, 107. 107,150 coins, um, since July 27th. Um, so like what I did was I took all the entities. So this, these are like forensically clustered addresses. Um, and I took all the entities with more than a thousand Bitcoins. Um, the reason I did that is like, I had been throwing in the newsletter, like a thousand to 10,000 or 10,000 to a hundred thousand. The problem with that is, is that sometimes you get, um, you get these movements from, from one cohort to another. So like, let's say, you know, you had uh, 9,999 coins in in this one entity, and then they added one more coin. Well, all of a sudden, 10,000 coins get added to the to the 10 to 100,000 cohort. So it looks like that cohort accumulated 10,000 coins, right? But all it was is someone in the in the lower cohort under them just added one coin, and so um, like it, that got really nuanced trying to filter through that. And I just said, forget it. I'm just going to take all the large entities above a thousand to eliminate that the factor of having those cohorts kind of like move into each other. Um, and, and so like I did that and then filtered out the uh, exchanges, obviously Grayscale, um, QBDC, um, Purpose ETF, and like all the, all the major basically on-chain um, recognizable entities. And so you get basically like the raw um, balance of like big whales um, over a thousand Bitcoins. And, and yeah, so you've seen strong accumulation from them as well the last couple of weeks. And so like, Pairing that with the fact that we've seen um, those large transfers, so over over ten million dollars in, in um, you know USD value, um, you know that, that, that's showing that there's some big buyers in the market. I love to hear that, Joe John. What questions you guys got? Hey, well, thanks for doing this. Uh, pumped for you to get back to school. I'm sure you're excited. Uh, <laughs> so I had a quick question. I saw an interesting tweet uh, from Willie Wu yesterday. I think you retweeted it also. Uh, but it was around the supply distribution of Bitcoin. And it was talking about uh, if we zoom out and we look at the last four to five years, it looks like whales, those who own a thousand or more Bitcoin, have uh, dropped off dramatically from a percentage standpoint, maybe around 35, 40%. Now they represent about 25% of the supply. Uh, and in the same vein, publicly held entities have increased your Dramatically, and so have minnows, right? Those who own less than 10 Bitcoin. How do you think about supply distribution in general and like its impact on long-term price? Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, like when you, like you said, when you look at this plotted out, what you see is you look at retail compared to overall circulating supply over time, the portion that they hold goes up and then whales over time are distributing. So, you know, that that's a good thing in terms of like the supply distribution. It's really healthy because you don't want obviously a lot of supply held in the hands of the few, um, you know, for, for price purposes, mostly because, you know, large buyers can just dump at will and, and they have, you know, stronger control over, over the price, at least in the, in the short term. Um, and so, yeah, like seeing that, seeing that distribution over time, in, in my opinion, is, is going to kind of coincide with some kind of stability in price because 
you have that more even distribution. And so people don't have as much individual effect on the market, I guess. Yeah. And, and I guess, so part of that is obviously from publicly held entities, right? Which we can go back and forth on whether they should be considered whales or not, but how do you think about, uh, their impact on the supply, right? So they could, uh, I guess do similar, they could act in a similar nature as whales, but how do you think that they, uh, more of them getting involved long-term impacts the price? Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of depends on the structure, right? Like when you look at grayscale, Grayscale has just pretty much been a black hole and they've just taken coins in and they haven't moved any out. I mean, they, they sell some for their 2% fee, but you know, in general, they're just a black hole for coins. Um, but then you have like the purpose ETF and you know, those coins can move in and out all, you know, cause it, it's pegged to nav. So, um, yeah, I guess it just depends on the entity. Also like, you know, we're, we're looking at these, these, um, large whale entities, but a lot of times these are representative of a bunch of small buyers. So like, you know, the, the entities for exchanges, right. That, that, um, we're looking at, these are actually, you know, holding coins for, for tens of millions or in some cases like you Coinbase, hundreds of millions of people. And so, yeah, it's like one entity on the blockchain, but when you actually like break that down, you know, it's, it's way more, um, small guys that are making up that, that one, um, large entity that's identified on chain. So like, yeah, like there's some limitations to like the accuracy of this completely like in terms of you know we, we obviously don't know how many retail participants are on exchanges and like the exact so like supply distribution on exchanges so like i think it, it should just kind of be taken with a grain of salt i guess the, this information and just knowing that like we do have that um healthy distribution over time although like the numbers aren't perfectly accurate because of that if that makes sense yeah directionally i think it's a good sign john what you got for us yeah well how you doing <laughs> Congrats hey, going back brother. to school. I'm good. Are we just congratulating Will for going back to school? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making it to another year. Um, <laughs> so my question is around like, what do you think is most affected the price in like the last week or so? Is it those large transactions? Is it the number of users? Um, like, what do you think around like where we've been, I guess, say from the bottom of the bear market? Yeah. Um, you know, I think like, like I said, most of this has been spot driven. Um, you know, we're seeing limited, um, you know, like funding rates been low. Um, open interest isn't at, uh, you know, where it was in the, you know, main phase of the bull market earlier this year. Um, and so like when you also look at just order books in general, like Coinbase has been bidding really aggressively. So seeing a lot of, a lot of buying from them. Um, and then in general, like we said, you know, whales. So, so I think it's, it's a lot of, uh, large buyers that have been, uh, pushing the price up in general. Um, but like no kind of like speculative, you know, euphoria or anything like that. I think like this rally is, is very healthy in that sense. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just been mostly driven by, you know, steady spot buying and, and people are just slowly moving bids up, um, as, as you know, they, they're kind of getting impatient because his price is just slowly kind of grinding up. And, um, I think like the max pain theory here is like, not that shorts are going to get squeezed. But more so, there's a lot of capital on the sidelines that has been watching this thing slowly grind up and they keep thinking they're going to, well, I'm just assuming they, they probably think they're still going to get a good entry. Um, you know, there's a lot of capital still sitting in uh, stable coins, you know, Tether, USDC. Um, and, and so I think like that, that's going to have more of an uh, effect on, on the upside than any kind of like short squeeze. It's more of like a FOMO squeeze, I guess. <laughs> uh, because you have all those people just watching this thing slowly grind up. They're slowly, you know, you can see they're slowly, you know, putting their bids up higher and higher. Um, and then, you know, at some point I think like the impatience kind of takes over. Uh, so like I'm watching closely, um, something called the stable coin supply ratio. 
And so that's kind of like a good way to gauge um, the flow of, of stables in and out of the Bitcoin market. And, and like what you have been seeing over the last couple of weeks is like that that's starting to be, you know, that's starting to pick up in terms of like how much of the uh, those stable coins have, have started to flow back into the market. So I think like impatience, I guess if I could like sum it up, I think um, that that's been kind of the driving factor here of like people who wanted to accumulate, you know, there were really patient buyers throughout that range. Um, you know, you saw they, they would, you know, slowly wait to, to pick up, you know, around 30K, and there, you know, no rush. And I think that kind of resembled these, you know, bigger, more uh, mature buyers that they aren't like rushing into the market. Um, and, and so, the, you know, they had no problem waiting for price to slowly grind back down to like 32 to 28K. But now they're starting to realize, okay, yeah, I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to get 35, you know, so maybe we'll, we'll set some bids at, at 40. And I think like you're going to get this effect that continues over the next couple of weeks. Well, before I let you go, we got to ask the big question. What do you think is, uh, is price action looking like over the next week or so? And then what is, uh, what's kind of your price thoughts through the rest of this year? We're currently sitting around 45, 46, $47,000. Where are we going? Yeah, I think over the next week, um, it kind of depends like what derivatives look like. And, and so kind of to, like look at it as, as it comes, like if, if funding just moons all of a sudden, like open interest moons, then you know, we'd probably get a correction there in, in, in the short term. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge over the next week. I'd say over the next couple of weeks higher, um, looking at kind of retest 50 K as like a pretty important level. I think we could potentially set, you know, theoretically a, a uh, lower high there, but I think like if we get above 50 K, the, the, um, the uh, legitimacy of like a thesis of, of some kind of dead cat bounce, I think really dies down after we get above that, that 50 K level, partially because it's like technical support also because just in general, it's a round number, right? Like, you know, sometimes it's as simple as just looking at like psychological levels in the market and uh, you know, round numbers are always just, you know, the common thing that, that uh, price finds resistance at. So yeah, I think like 50 K we'll probably retest that in the next couple of weeks and then kind of gauging the reaction there. Um, and then also like I, I built like this this uh on-chain like pricing model and so it looks at um like some of these metrics i didn't build but i just put them all together so it, it's looking at like the the floor that historically for all bitcoin um like in the bottom of the bear market and then also at the top um and then the mean between the two and you're looking at the realized price um anyway i'm, I'm probably like boring people to death here but there's there's one uh mid price level that i'd be watching it's um right around 57k right now it's kind of like it's sloping upwards, so it's adding a couple hundred dollars a day. But I think if we get back above that, um, then like it would be full confirmation in my mind that that we're going much higher. Um, and then from there, if, if we broke above 57K, like um, I, I'd probably be targeting the, the uh, mean between realized price and the, and the top price. So that's like right around 92K right now. I'm kind of grinding slowly upwards. So, okay. Um, and, yeah, and we'll, then, we'll see if we get that confirmation. But and the, and yeah, over follow- the next couple weeks, I think we retest 50. A follow-on to that is uh, I recently was talking to Dan Held and a couple of guys who really believe in this like super cycle thesis where basically they think hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin uh, by the end of the year. Do you buy any of that? Um, it, it's hard to tell. Like, There's so many factors. I, I would say, though, I think like Bitcoin moves away from this four-year cycle. I, I, I think eventually Bitcoin just becomes more free-flowing kind of in correlation to like real rates and and just in general you know the raw supply and demand like i don't think a lot of these like overheated signals for the for the cycles that that i look at i I think they'll all get broken at some point whether it's like this cycle or the next 
you know, obviously like it's impossible to say, but I suspect like over time, Bitcoin will just become more freely traded amongst the just raw, you know, supply and demand and, and trade more in, in uh, tandem with like some of the more macro factors. Like, you know, obviously Bitcoin has been majority, uh, you know, retail driven. So a lot of this stuff hasn't mattered, but I, I think you'll, you'll start to move away from like the four year cycle. So yeah, like, does that happen this time? I don't know. It's hard to say. I guess we'll, we'll kind of like get a better uh, grasp for that towards the end of the year when we start to see like the, the kind of uh, buyers that that announce. I think like you'll probably have some big buyers towards towards the the latter half of the year, just because like you know the really strong accumulation we've been seeing and like these people probably aren't gonna announce until it makes them look smart to do so. Like why would they announce when you know price is still at like 40k? You know they're gonna come out and announce it like. Um, new all-time highs but like oh yeah yeah we bought that down there yeah so like what do you mean yeah, but they're, you know they're not going to say it now when when it doesn't make them look really smart to do so so i don't know long story short i, I think it just depends on uh some of, like the more like extraneous factors that we'll probably get a better grasp on throughout the year and then obviously you know whatever's going on with the with the dollar has a, a huge impact on bitcoin right like if, if all of a sudden everybody loses trust in the dollar well then you know that's insanely bullish for bitcoin uh, but you know it's, it's really hard to like i guess call the, the timing in terms of like will that be this cycle or next absolutely where can people go follow you on uh on twitter and uh you've got the link to uh, to the email there that people can subscribe to where you, where you want to send them yeah sure so um my my twitter is w clementi i i i and then um you can click on uh i, I just started the uh blockware newsletter with them um and, and that's you can see the link in my bio and, and click on that we do like the weekly newsletter it's it's, it's the newsletter that I've, I've been doing just rebranded Awesome, man. Can we give uh, can we give Will a little like round of applause as he goes back to school? You know, get it. <laughs> Listen, don't do anything I would do. Don't get too drunk, and uh, we'll see you next week, man. Have fun. All right, appreciate it. Uh, it'll be a good weekend, so I'll, I'll touch base at some point. Let you know how it's going, man. But I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, proof of life. Week. That's what we need. We need a little proof <laughs> of life this weekend. <laughs>